Now, a few years ago, there was a video circulating online of a homeless man in Dartford. And this homeless man became famous because he had been prevented by McDonald's from sitting outside. And so somebody had recorded this homeless man and they had asked him, why are you sitting outside? And he had some few things to say. And uh, the words he said made it go viral. The man said, McDonald's do not let me sit outside because I am homeless, he said. They come out and throw buckets of water out at me so that I cannot sit here. I am going through other organizations, the man said. I have contacted the council. I've done House of Mercy. I went there, the beds were gone, he said. I am not finding any help. If there is anybody out there, the man said on the video, who can help me to get back on my feet, please help me. I want to live a normal life just like everyone else. Now the plight of that man went viral because there is an inner sense in all of us that we are meant to live in a loving and welcoming community. And yet, as we look around this and we think about our own experiences in life, the reality is that all of us have been in situations where we have not been welcomed by other people. We have not always find it, found it easy to be embraced and cared for by others. That's the reality. The sad reality of life. The reality is that we live in a world where we are not embraced and loved as we would like. It is a dog eat Dog well, they say, where each of us seem to only care about living for ourselves. Where we find it easy to walk outside and see a homeless man and just stand a blind eye. In fact, when we were in Pooh, actually, uh, interesting enough, we came out of a. Um, um, a, a, a I was in a Sainsbury's, I was in a Tesco rather, and uh, there was just a man sleeping there. And people were saying, he's sleeping outside, but no one would say, do anything. That's the world we live in, isn't it? We were created actually to be welcomed um, by God. God created us so that we would find that divine embrace in Him. And that's why, to some degree, we, we find that we live in a world in which other people don't welcome us, mainly because God's original design is that really God never created us to find lasting embrace or love and care from other human beings. He ultimately created us to find love and embrace in Him. Now the problem is that we rejected that embrace of God in hidden, and so all of us are born in this world estranged from God. And because we are estranged from God, you see, we are estranged from one another. Because God's design is that we should find embrace in Him, and as we find embrace in Him, we can then embrace one another. But because sin has entered the world, well, we are estranged from God. And as a result, well, we are estranged from one another. We, each of us, long to be welcomed in our lives. But we don't find it in this world. But the good news of the Bible is this, that we do not have to keep longing to be welcomed. God is, in fact, already at work, right, through the Lord Jesus to build a new community, a welcoming community. If you're a true follower of Jesus, you are part of this new welcoming community. God, in fact, has already welcomed you in Christ. So you have what the world wants, which the world longs for, which is embraced by God in Christ. 
which results in other people embracing you in their life. This morning, we are continuing our study of Colossians. And we have come to a passage where God encourages us to welcome each other in Christ. That's the passage we come to. Please look at me there at Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 10. Uh, Brother David has read this passage for us. I'll just read it for us again. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. That's in Rome. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. In this short passage, which strikes us to just names, but as we step back and ask ourselves, what is Paul's purpose? Why is Paul writing these words? What does he seek to accomplish? Immediately when we ask that question, the passage begins to make sense to us. All of a sudden, it takes on a new meaning. Because in this short passage, the Apostle Paul is starting to conclude, conclude his letter to the church in the city of Colossae. And as he does this, he wants to get across two things in these verses. First, he wants the Colossians to welcome those people who are coming to visit them. There are particularly, there are three people. Two of them are being sent directly by Paul. The first man is, they have never met before, his name is Tychicus. We see him there in verse 7 to 8. The second person is a returning slave whom they know from Colossae, Onesimus, is mentioned in verse 9. And in addition to these two men, Paul wants the Colossians to look out for a third man, an unexpected man in this context. This man plans to travel to Colossae later on his own. And this man is John Mark, the author of Mark's Gospel. There in verse 10, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes, don't shut your door to him. There's a reason why they may want to do that. No, welcome him. So the first thing Paul wants us to do, wants them to do, is to learn the importance of welcoming. The second thing Paul wants them to teach the Colossian church and us is the importance of encouraging one another in Christ. And we see this in verse 8, don't we? He has sent this man Tychicus. What's his purpose? To encourage their hearts. And we see it again in verse 11, where Paul says, there have been a group of men, these three men, right? Aristarchus, Jesus Justus, and Mark, who are Jewish men, and they have been a comfort to me. They have encouraged me. So as we look at these verses 7 and 11, it's clear what Paul wants to accomplish. Two things he wants us to learn. He wants to learn, us to learn something about welcoming one another in Christ. And he wants to teach us something about encouraging one another in Christ. Now, I've been wrestling which way to deal with these two topics. But what I've settled on is that this morning we'll talk about what is natural, isn't it? Well, what should come first, really, which is welcoming one another in Christ. And then this evening, 
we talk about encouraging one another in Christ. So this is a two-part message, and I really plead with you to make an effort to come here in the evening, because I don't just want you to learn one thing. I think God would want you to learn both things this evening, especially as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together as well, which wonderfully brings together welcoming and encouraging one another. So this morning, we're looking at welcoming one another. Two truths in verse 7 to 10 that is teaching us about the importance of welcoming one another in Christ. It's in your outline. The first truth is this. We must welcome true believers who are different to us. So two things. We must welcome those who are different, and we must welcome those who are difficult for us. So the first thing is we must welcome. God wants us to welcome true believers who are different to us, who are strangers to us. The the author um, and preacher Francis Chan Uh, In one of his books, he tells a story of a former member uh, of a criminal gang who attended their local church, okay? So this man used to be in a gang and decided to go to church. The man was heavily tattooed, rough around the ages, but Jesus somehow had burst into this man's life. And now the man was really curious to find out what church is like. He's become converted. He was ready to go to church. So he starts attending the local church, and actually, he quickly gets involved. But after a few months, he disappears. Nowhere to be seen. So, Pastor Francis, didn't seem anyone else had noticed, but Pastor Francis notices this man is gone. And as pastors tend to do, they quickly track down the man to find out why. I mean, this is a, was a big change. They really love having this man around. So they follow him up. They say, what's going on? Why you stopped coming? Well, to the pastor's shock, the former gangster says, you know, I had the wrong idea of what a church was going to be like. When I joined the church, I thought it was going to be like joining a gang. You see, in the gangs, we were not just nice to each other once a week. We were a family. I wonder how you feel when you hear that story. Uh, Francis Chan says, hearing that killed me, he said. And I think most believers would feel like that. It killed him. And that's how we as true believers should feel. We should be devastated by that story. Why? Because we know that actually what the man was looking for is exactly what God caused the church to be. It's meant to be a family of true believers who genuinely welcome one another, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. They are in each other's lives. They are opening up their life together. They are getting to know one another. They are laboring side by side for the gospel, as Brother, brother um, um, Frederick has been teaching us in Philippians. God wants us to truly welcome each other into our lives, into our homes, as, as one family in Christ, regardless of how different we are to each other. And this is the first truth, really, I think Paul wants to communicate to the Colossians here in verse 4 to 7. Uh, you see, Paul here is in prison, right? And he's in prison in Rome, right? This is a bit towards the end of Acts. He's been taken to Rome, right? Is not able now in Rome, able to travel to Colossae and encourage the church or allow the see other churches he has helped to support coming to be. In fact, he has never been to Colossae. 
And so what has he done? He's keen to encourage them. Uh, the, the, the gospel is not bound by the prison walls. So what he's done is he sent his right hand man, Tychicus. Five times Tychicus is mentioned in the Bible. In the early life of Paul, towards the very end. In fact, when Paul is dying some 20 years later, after writing these words in Colossae, he says, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. This man was known Paul for decades. Now, this is 20 years before the end of Paul's life. Paul now sends this man, Tychicus. He says, look, I'm going to send this man, Tychicus, to Colossae, and I want him to deliver this letter and I want him to encourage the people. So as, but they've never met him. So what does Paul do? Paul starts off by introducing this man. And affirming this man to the Colossians. Look at verse 7 to 8. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother. Oh, what a phrase. A beloved brother. We'll talk about that this evening. And a faithful minister. And a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. You know, when we read between the lines of what Paul is saying and we understand the context, what Paul is really saying to the Colossians is this. I know you've never met Brother Tychicus. He's not from your neck of the woods. He's not like one of you. He's not like one of you. He's he's not like Onesimus, who is one of you. Tychicus is from Asia Minor. So physically and culturally, he's a stranger to you. But spiritually, Paul is saying, um, you and him go way back before the foundation of the world. Because God has chosen both you and Tychicus uh, in Christ. Tychicus is your true brother. He's a beloved brother. And he's a faithful minister of the gospel. He is committed, he's reliable, he's a fellow servant in Christ. In other words, God has not just saved him, he's transformed him, and we've seen evidences of him. He is one of us, Paul is saying. And so Paul is indirectly saying to them, this man I've sent, though you have never met him, welcome him. Welcome Tychicus like you would welcome me. After all, he has not come to you of his own accord. I have sent him. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, Paul says in verse 8, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul is expecting the Colossians, this is why he's writing this introduction, because he's expecting the Colossians to wholeheartedly receive this stranger in Christ. This man, Tychicus, not just receive him, but receive his ministry of encouragement. Paul expects more than just a handshake at the door when he enters Philemon's house where the church at Colossae meets. No, he is expecting them to embrace this man. In fact, this man is going as a standing minister for Epaphras who is currently in Rome. You see, welcoming in the early church, welcoming visitors to the to an early church who are followers of Christ was more than just a couple of coffee on a Sunday. It was more than like, here is coffee, how are you? We'll see you midweek. Oh, we'll see you in the evening service. Oh, we'll see you when you're free next time. No, Paul expects them to open up their lives to Tychicus, to open up, in fact, their home to Tychicus, to wholeheartedly and gladly welcome into their lives and their home a stranger as he is. 
And we know this is the welcome Paul expects because we have a clear echo of this welcome. Our welcome was like in the early church. We have it in the Bible. Where do we go for that? Well, we have it in 3 John. Let's read that. Because in there, the Apostle John commends one of the leaders in the early church, a man named Gaius, Gaius, for welcoming believing strangers. Look at 3 John chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. It says this, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Do you see the welcome there that uh, the Apostle John expects Elder Gaius to show? It's not simply Happy Lord's Day, right, to other believers. It is offering true fellowship, sharing our lives with them. It is getting to know them and caring for their practical needs as we would care for ourselves. It is opening up our lives, our homes, our everything to them. It is true embrace, giving ourselves to each other. True followers of Christ are meant to warmly welcome other followers of Christ who are different, strangers as they are, John says, by inviting them into our lives. Beloved, there should be no barrier between us and those true followers of Christ who are different to us. We must embrace them and share life with them. I wonder, how are you as a follower of Christ obeying this exhortation, this first truth in your life? Of welcome true believers who are different to you. Of welcoming them in the church. Of welcoming them in your life as well. I wonder, how would your life look like this month in July, if you made a resolution this very morning to obey God's word in this area, to obey this exhortation from God, to start to truly welcome other true believers who are different from you. How would your life look like? I think, if, first of all, it would mean next time you're in church, you'd be actively looking not just to speak to people who you share the same meal style, as it were, or love Nando's together, but people who are different, who hate Nando's, for a start, right? You'll be on the lookout for people who are new to you. You've never met them, right? You'll be on the, you'd prioritize when you come to church to, to talk to new people. Or those who are fringe on, of church, on the fringe of church life because you want to truly welcome them in Christ. You'll be intentional about finding time to invite in your life perhaps over a cup of coffee or if it's possible in your home, someone in the church from a different culture, a different race, a different income bracket and there's a different age. Don't be shocked about that. Christ has invited you, hasn't he, into your life? He is the ancient of days. Are you as old as he is? Of course not. Infinitely young as you are, he's infinitely old. 
And yet he has welcomed you. He has breached the age gap. I think if we understand that, we'll start inviting those of a different age from us. And you know, you would start asking God right now, this moment, in this, in this morning fellowship, to, to remove any pride, any self-focus, any partiality that is currently keeping you from wanting to get close to people who are different. Any forced busyness. I say it's forced because the true busyness uh, enables us to bring people into our business, as it were. Right? I think if you believe this truth, you'd see that welcoming others is really who you are in Christ. And you'd repent of failing to do it. And you'd cry out to God to change your heart in this area. This is going to look very different for all of us. But there must be a desire there, isn't it? To do what we can to welcome others. Because God here is exhorting us here to abandon self-focused living. And to relate to other believers only when it benefits us. Many of us have no problem welcoming others, but we just want to do it when it's comfortable for us to do it. And beloved, that's not the church at Colossae welcoming Tichikas. And that, as we'll see in a moment, is not the church at Colossae welcoming back Onesimus. Comfort is not the issue here. Quite the opposite is self-denial. I just want to say, by the way, we think of welcoming others as a, as a, as a wondrous thing. But in the scripture, it's obvious that as we welcome those who are different from us, it blesses them and it blesses us. It's not a zero-sum game. Because as we welcome them, we are, if they are so different from us, what are we doing? We are dying to self. And as we die to self, we are taking up the cross and following Christ. We are becoming more and more like Christ. Because there's no one like Christ, as we read in the scripture, who welcomed those who are so different. Because Christ was 100% holy. There was no one like Jesus. And yet we see him welcoming. His whole life was welcoming those who were different. Because he was perfectly holy. They were completely unholy. He was from above. They were from earth. Different culture. He had a heavenly culture. The whole world has a fallen culture. And yet he bridged that infinite gap. So as we deny ourselves to welcome those who are different in different ways, we are becoming more like Jesus. And that's a blessing to us, isn't it? If all you do is welcome people who are the same, you're not growing, beloved. You're not growing. That won't stretch you. That's not even, that's no evidence of a gospel heart. Even the unbelievers do that. The unbelievers do that. There's nothing amazing about me welcoming a Zambian for Nshima. But it is radical when I'm spending time with somebody who's completely different background. That's the gospel at work. Bridging worlds. You know, the church is the only place where you find a, a, a Fussy 100 executive being discipled by a man who has never been to school. That's the church. It bridges the gap. It blesses us, beloved, when we welcome those who are different from us, who are true believers, because it, ble- it, 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 it makes us more like Christ, and it brings other direct blessings as well. The context here is that Tychicus, unless they welcome him, unless they accept Paul's description of him and welcome him as a true brother, he won't be able to minister to them. 
And they need his encouragement. He's coming not for his benefit. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are. That he may encourage your heart. It's about you. You get blessed by him coming. Do you see that? But what coming Tichikas, the Colossians benefit, not only from receiving the letter from Paul, but also from the ministry of Pastor Tichikas. And as I said, it's most likely that Tichikas has come as a temporary replacement for their pastor, Epaphras, who remains in prison with Paul in Rome. So in the same way, when you start welcoming true believers in your life, and some of you know this already, you, who are different, it changes you. It deepens your spiritual life. And once you go there, beloved, you want more of it. Because you see how it stretches you, how it makes you more like Jesus. You just want to bridge the gap all the time. You just want to ask God to give you grace to be with others who are different, who are true followers of Jesus. The, the first truth is this. God wants all followers of Christ to welcome those true believers who are different from us. That's the first thing Paul wants to teach us about the importance of welcome. The second and final truth is this. It's in your outline. God wants us to welcome true believers who are also difficult for us. We must welcome those who are different, but we must also welcome true believers who are difficult for us to welcome. They are followers of Christ whom we know well. They are not strangers to us. But we struggle to truly embrace them in our lives because it is too costly for us to welcome. And these two men that Paul mentions here, we've discussed Tychicus, but two more, are difficult people to welcome for the Colossians. Paul encourages Colossians to welcome first Onesimus in their midst. Onesimus. If you've been coming to the Bible studies we had in Philemon, which Brother Frederick was taking us through, then you know all about Onesimus. Onesimus here is on the road to Colossae with Tychicus. He is a man with a difficult past. He is a slave owned by a man called Philemon, who is one of the leaders of the church at Colossae. Onesimus used to live in Philemon's household as a slave. But at one point, Onesimus ran away from Philemon, and he went to Rome. But by the grace of God, Onesimus met Paul in Rome, who shared the Lord Jesus Christ with him. He became converted. Paul says he was previously useless, but he has now become a brother. And so now in this letter, Paul is sending Onesimus back to the city of Colossae as a new member of the church there. And also, he's sending him back to Philemon, his master. Now, we know Paul has written already a letter to Philemon separately. It's in the Bible. It's a letter of Philemon. And he has separately there asked Philemon to forgive Onesimus for his past life and, and to welcome him back not now as a brother in Christ, a new brother. You can read about that in Philemon. And that letter of Philemon was copied to the church in Colossae. Because if you read Philemon verse 2, you see that it's not just written to Philemon. It's also written to the church at Colossae. Now in this direct letter, which is a copy that Tychicus is carrying, I think we should imagine that Tychicus is carrying Colossae, the letter to Colossae, and Philemon is carrying, well, Onesimus is carrying the letter to Philemon. So in this letter now that Tychicus is carrying to the church, well, Paul is not going into detail because it's already written separate to Philemon. He simply says this. Look at verse 7 to 9. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. 
is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And look who's with him. And with him, one Our Listen to how he describes him. Our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. I mean, when they read that this night, it might just, just knock them out. Because Paul, this is not the Onesimus they know, but Paul is indirect saying to the church at Colossae, including Philemon, I have sent back Onesimus to all of you because he is now one of you. He used to be useless. He used to live a life of sin. But Christ has changed life. Jesus changes life. If anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Onesimus is no longer defined by the past. Is defined by his new identity in Christ. And he is one of us now. And there is evidence to show it, Paul is saying. He is a new man. He's a reliable brother. He's faithful. He's a beloved brother in the sense that everyone loves him. <laughs> He's loved by the Lord and other people can see it. They love being around Onesimus. And by Paul mentioning that Onesimus has changed, he's saying to them, to the rest of the church, listen, it's not just Philemon who needs to welcome Onesimus. You, the rest of the church, need to put your arms around Onesimus as Philemon hugs him back into his new life. Support Philemon in this task. Welcome back, Onesimus. Yes, it's difficult for you to do this because he has lived a shameful life. He has disappointed you in the past. But you must look beyond the sinful past of Onesimus. He's a brand new child of God. The runaway slave has become free in Christ, free from sin. Paul is saying, he's a true Christian. Not just a Christian in name only. He has truly changed. And people love him for his faith. So, welcome him in Christ. That's essentially what Paul is teaching here indirectly. Paul is teaching the Colossians and Nazis this night that all followers of Christ must not only welcome those who are different from them, but even those who are difficult for us because of perhaps some past hurt we've suffered at their hands or just they have a bad reputation from their past life. And, and you know what Paul is asking them is not easy for the Colossians to accept. And it's not easy for us either. And I think Paul is aware of this point, and that's why he mentions a third visitor with an interesting history, who's also coming to Colossae to just drive on this point. Look at verse 10. We'll come back to Aristarchus this evening, but look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Say more about him this evening. And Mark the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, don't shut your doors to him. Welcome him. Welcome him. Now, why would Paul emphasize for them to welcome Mark? Well, if you know your Bible, you know that Mark was a companion of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary trip to share Jesus around the world. But you also know that at some point, what did Mark do? Well, he deserted them. He ran away. 
It seems things became tough when they traveled from Pathos to Pega in Pamphylia. So the young Mark decided to bail out. Some Christians do this. They decided to bail out. This is too hard. And they returned to Jerusalem. Poor, poor guy, right? I'm going back to mom, right? The mom used to host the church. I'm going back to, to mom and I want to sit under Peter's preaching. He didn't want to do any more of this hard work. And, but then, Paul finished the mission trip, and there was a trip now for a second mission trip came. And who's there who wants to join in again? Mark. <laughs> right? This time he says he's ready to go, right? He's, he's already uh, had fun in Jerusalem. He's ready to go. Or perhaps he was getting hectic in Jerusalem, so he wants to have some time off on the mission trip. And then it all kicked off when Mark decided to join in. Because, you see, Barnabas, his cousin, wanted to give Mark a second chance. Barnabas is a man of encouragement. I don't think we're just doing it because of it's his cousin. Maybe there was something in that. But I think he's, a, he's an encourager. He saw still hope in, in, in... I'm not picking sides here. He saw hope in Mark, right? But Paul was having none of it. He didn't trust Mark. He said, you bailed out on us. Sorry. One strike, you're out. <laughs> right? This is a hard journey we're going through. You can't come along. And as a result, something terrible really happened. The worst thing that probably has happened, if that happened in the early church, is that two godly people, giants of the faith, Paul and Barnabas, fell out. Sometimes good Christians clash. They fell out. It affected the mission work, and they went their separate ways. But you know, God loves us, and God is faithful. And by the grace of God, that was not the end of the story. Because by the time Paul is writing to the Colossians, Paul and Mark have now reconciled in Christ. And here in verse 10 to to 11, and in Philemon verse 24, Paul says, Mark is now a fellow worker for the kingdom. He includes him among those who have been a comfort to him. Not just a brother, but I, he's saying in verse 11, I depend on Mark as I depend on Jesus, as I depend on Aristocrats to comfort me. He has been a comfort to me. The man who was a huge disappointment to Paul is now one of his best friends and helpers. And you know what? It remained like that until the end of Paul's life. Because when we read Paul's last letter in the Bible, what does he tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 verse 11? Who is one person Paul is longing for to see? Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for my ministry. Now that is many years from now. At least 20 years. But in Colossians 4 verse 10 they've already reconciled. And while Paul is languishing in a Roman prison, uh, he, he thinks... I, don't, I want Mark to be looked after when he goes there. He encourages the church to walk on Mark. Look at verse 10. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, walk on him. I think what Paul is saying by including Mark here as the, one of the people who need to be welcomed in light of Onesimus, I think what Paul is saying to the Colossians is this. I, I'm sure you have picked up from early church Twitter that I fell out with Mark. The news has gone round, right? The cousin of Barnabas. I'm sure you've heard it. Everyone knows about it. But you know what? We've reconciled. 
I have welcomed him back in my life. And what a comfort dear Mark has been to me. A true brother in the Lord. And you know what? I also want you to welcome him when he comes. I want you to obey the instructions that you've received, probably from Barnabas or Peter or Paul himself. I want you to obey those instructions to welcome this man. Do not let his past define, do not let what you've heard, the rumors you've heard, define how you treat him. All is well. He's a brother in Christ. Do not shut your doors to my brother because of his past failures. Do not give him a cold shoulder. Warm your hearts to him. He is one of us. Mark the cousin of Barnabas concerning all you have heard. You have received instruction. If he comes, welcome him. Welcome him. And I think as we look at these two examples of Onesimus and Mark, Paul is teaching us that God wants us to welcome into our lives not only believers who are different like Tychicus, but those who are difficult for us to do like Onesimus and Mark. Now, I just want to make it clear. This doesn't mean we should overlook sin or believe false claims people make about being believers. There must be true, genuine biblical standard of what constitutes a Christian. Paul is not encouraging us to be gullible. We need to relate to one another with spiritual discernment. There must be true evidence of conversion and repentance. I think what Paul is teaching us is that we must never allow past sinful life or past hurt we've suffered to stop us from welcoming or embracing true believers in our lives. If they are genuine Christians, if they are not walking in open rebellion against God or heresy or willfully damaging others, we must embrace them. We must welcome them. And the welcome again is like we talked about with girls and those strangers. It's a whole spiritual hug, isn't it? It's bringing them into our lives. Not simply, hello, we are okay now. No, no, beyond that, true holy church welcome. And why should we do it? Well, because Christ has welcomed us home, hasn't it? Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 22. A passage we looked at. You who once were, what? Alienated. Strangers. And hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds. He, that is Christ, has now reconciled. We might even say, welcomed in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And when I preached on that, I said, Christ hasn't just, it's not like... We were like a bad neighbor with Christ. He lived in the other house. We used to make all the noise. And we, Christ wouldn't sleep because of our bad behavior, right? Christ didn't just stop calling the police on us. He broke down the wall of separation between us and him. And he told us, live with me now with all your mess. It's that sort of welcome. Christ welcomed us home. That's what God has done in Christ. He welcomed us when we had a sinful past. When we were hostile to him, he lavished his grace on us. And we must do the very same thing to those believers who are difficult for us to welcome. We must welcome them too. Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 15, sorry, verse 5 to 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together... Paul says, you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You see, when you know that the Lord Jesus has welcomed you at such a great cost, you know, you would want to embrace other true believers regardless of how much it costs you. When you know Christ has welcomed you physically, not just by praying for you, he does pray for us, but he has physically died on the cross for us. It's a physical welcome. Then you would also decide to be practical in your welcoming of those who are different and difficult. When you know how Christ persevered, perseveres with you, and how he persevered on the cross, through the beatings and nails, enduring all the shame, just to welcome you to himself. Well, you will also not give up in welcoming those who are different and difficult. Those who disappoint you. Because you know yourself, you have disappointed the Lord Jesus so many times. And he still stretches out those hands from his cross. See, the question for us this morning is simply this. Are you willing, beloved, to grow in truly welcoming others who are different? Are you willing to repent of your failure to welcome those who are difficult for you to do? Will you ask God for help to grow you in this area for his glory and for our good? Will you, starting this morning, be determined to truly reach out to other believers? Those who are different. And especially with Wanatsimas and Mark in mind, those who are difficult for you. Now, this is not something we can be neutral about, beloved. Obeying this command, this is, God isn't offering this as advice. Refusing to obey the command to true welcome true believers who are different or difficult raises questions about our salvation in Christ. This is actually a salvation issue. Now that may surprise you here because we don't take this issue seriously. But remember what the Lord Jesus said to James and John. There's a situation in, in the Gospel of Mark where James and John, they have seen a man casting, you know, casting out demons or something like that, or maybe preaching, and they are like, he's not part of us. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said about that. Mark chapter 9, verse 38 to 40. They were not willing to welcome that man, but listen to what the Lord Jesus says. John said to him, teacher, Mark 9, verse 38 to 42. We, the, the, the reference is in the outline there. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him. Because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. We usually stop there, but we must read on. For, because... Right? The connecting word. So what's coming is connected before. If we are reading the Bible. Because truly I say to you, whoever gives you a couple of water to drink because you belong to Christ, who welcomes you like that, who by no means loses reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, we pick up the children element and we use it quite often, especially in the culture we're living in, but sometimes we unhinge this passage from its context. Because the context there, what the Lord Jesus is really saying is, those who do not welcome his children are risking his wrath 
and judgment. Okay? Christ, as James and John speak of not welcoming this person, Christ is using this moment to warn them that refusing to welcome those who are different from us in Christ or who are difficult for us in Christ, or particularly those who are weak in Christ, can lead to, the, to suffering the wrath of God. That's what he's saying. And the reason is obvious. By not welcoming other true believers who are different or difficult for us, we can cause them to backslide into sin. The word there about causing people to, 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 to in verse 42, who believe in me to sin, actually in the original word, it means stumble, scandalize. Causing them to stumble. In other words, by refusing to welcome them, we may cause them to stumble in their faith. We may damage their walk with the Lord Jesus. We may do injury to their soul just because they are different or difficult for us. And if we do that, Jesus is saying, if our lack of welcoming, true welcoming other believers in Christ damages them, it is better for a great millstone to be hung around our necks and be thrown in the sea. Now, a millstone is a huge secular stone which was used to grind, to grain, to, to, to use to grind the grain into mill, right? Donkeys were attached to this millstone and they used to walk in circle, slowly grinding the grain. Now imagine attaching this such a stone around the person's neck and then throwing that person into the sea. Well, it would sink immediately, a horrible death. Death by drowning. No possibility of escape. It is a shocking warning the Lord Jesus gives. It is even more shocking when you realize who he's warning. James and John. And the rest of the disciples who are hearing. It shocks us. But it is not shocking. It shouldn't shock us. When we remember how much Christ loves his children. Those whom the Father has given him. He loves them enough for himself to die for them. So it is not a surprise the Lord Jesus says, it is in, he says he loves us enough as he were to pick up a spiritual machine gun. That would be the equivalent today. And shoot away intruders who dare arm his children. And I say, remember, he's talking to disciples. And this is a warning for us. If we refuse to welcome other believers... And in our refusal to welcome those who are different or difficult, it somehow damages them. We will never know whether we cause damage, but we will know when we haven't welcomed. You can be sure of that. We stand condemned. We stand condemned before God. In short, it means you, there's a high risk you do not truly belong to Christ. You cannot be counted among his little ones if you are in turn damaging his little ones by your lack of welcoming those who are different or difficult. On that great day, you may discover you are a wolf. You are always a wolf rather than a sheep. So this is serious. We need to examine ourselves this morning. Are we growing in truly welcoming true believers who are different to us and difficult for us? Most importantly, beloved, whatever your record in the past, come before God now with a repentant heart. Starting today, 
Ask Christ to help you love and embrace others. Ask him to fill you with thankfulness for other followers of Christ and for him to truly help you to welcome them as he has welcomed you in Christ through his cross. Amen.